Good evening. Welcome to Cinema Death Cult. I'm your host, Adam Bolger, and tonight we are gathered here together to talk about Phantom of the Paradise, the 1974 Brian De Palma spazzed out rock opera comedy horror movie that sort of defies description, in my opinion. And to join me, joining me to Hopefully describe it a little better. Is returning guest Jim Canessa. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing fine, Adam, and it's it's, it's always a pleasure. So yeah, thank I'm you very much for asking back. me back. Yeah, of course. Now, so Phantom, Phantom of the Paradise, I understand it holds a very special place in your heart. Can you tell me why? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> if I can, if I can back up. Back up yes. a little ways to a few years before the movie. Yeah. Uh, talking early 70s, 71, 72, when I was, you know, I was a wee folk. Um, and Paul Williams was everywhere, right? He was on, uh, you know, Songs World over the radio, and he was in movies like Battle for the Planet of the Apes. He was doing, uh, you know, he was on uh, The Odd Couple and Mary Tyler Moore and. Uh, and he was on the talk shows all the time, you know, yeah. with Griffin and Mike Douglas, and, and everybody loved Paul Williams. You know, he was this short, self-deprecating, very charming, cherubic little character with his blonde hair and his tinted shades. And, yeah. Uh, but when I was a kid, I was fascinated by him because I could sense there was something sinister going on. <laughs> you know, he was yeah, he, he was this lovable, you know, this lovable little muppet, but there was yeah. there was just something evil behind those tinted shades, you know, I could <laughs> I could feel it. And the thing is, I yeah. mean, these days Williams would never deny that. No, 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 <laughs> excuse no. me. At the time, so then uh when Phantom of the Paradise came out, I think I was 9. Um, yeah. It it made perfect sense to me because you know he, he here he is <laughs> this satanic character, um, yeah. which I think might you know he was playing uh, completely against type at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that at the core of yeah. it. And, but then the you know I uh, uh, at that age the movie had yeah. you know everything you know I. Uh, you know, I loved horror films. I loved anything that involved the devil. Um, yeah. I liked rock and roll, and, yeah. uh, and I liked comedy. So yeah. uh, it was all there. Yeah, in this live you action comic book. Yeah. You know, I just want to hang on what you're talking about with the cultural ubiquity of Paul Williams. Um, yeah. I I saw a picture of him recently, and he was holding a Burger King cup that came uh-huh. in from the 1970s that had his face on it. Wow, you see? You can't yeah, even go to Burger see. King without running into Paul Williams. <laughs> exactly. Because he, he is, as you described, this odd little fellow uh-huh. because of, with a bit of a sinister air. And yeah. It's, so it's, it's difficult to 
imagine that he'd be this guy you couldn't escape in monoculture. I mean, I, I think it's yeah, because I, I was going to say, I think I probably knew Paul Williams before I knew Richard Nixon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's more important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the other thing that was funny was that when I was looking up when I was looking up uh, Phantom of the Paradise, I found a video of Paul Williams promoting uh, the movie and singing a song from the movie, not on the Brady Bunch, but on the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. The, the Brady and, Bunch, and and I am astonished by that because he does the hell of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, you know, I'm which is yeah. you know that's the song that's going to be played at my funeral. I mean, it's the Brady, <laughs> it's the fucking Brady Bunch Hour. And here he is yeah. singing, you know, nothing matters anyway. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes you. You're better off dead. Yeah. So I, it's coming from the the. Uh, I was born, you know, in, after this movie came out. I was born in 1975, and okay. the kind of flattening effect of history. I mean, I came to it, you know, like VHS. It looked weird or whatever, but like, I never considered that he was a famous guy. I thought uh-huh. I knew he wrote some songs. Um, I I thought he was plucked from obscurity to be. Uh-huh. A... <laughs> no, but no, he, he was he was the king of the world. Yeah, yeah, and so and so what I was... loved. Go ahead. Oh, go on. Um, I was going to say I'm trying to remember. I had, and I don't know if this was the movie poster or not. I don't remember what what the artwork on the movie poster was, but I had yeah. the. Um, I had a first pressing of the soundtrack CD, and uh, the cover was this picture of a grinning Paul Williams, you know, this painting of a grinning Paul Williams surrounded by syringes and pills, you know, floating floating around his head. It was astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you saw it, and what about, what about it kind of, if you're trying to sell this movie, I was going to ask you, what about it captivated you? But if you're going to uh, try to get somebody who's never seen it to watch it, what would you say? Uh, you know, you probably say it's this, it's a, you know, this uh, live action cartoon that's also a rock musical in a rock musical. We're within a rock musical. And, yeah. and it's this head-on collision between um, Phantom of the Opera and uh, Faust and uh, and glam rock, yes. um, but it was a real. It was also uh, a real turning point because Jesus Christ Superstar, the film version, came out a year beforehand. But yeah. Tommy and uh, Rocky Horror were still a year away, so yeah. he, it was a, it was a way of. I mean, it was one of many ways, of course. I mean, the Manson family was another one. Of uh, of announcing that the whole hippie era was dead, you know yeah. the world the world had uh, taken a radical turn into yeah. you know cartoon, cartoonish drug filled you know glam rock. Right, right. I think in your um, what you wrote about uh, you wrote, you wrote an article about this movie and you said like. Bob Dylan didn't matter anymore, and people were kind of realizing that, or something to that effect, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know now it was uh, it was uh, more a matter of 
Kiss in Black Oak, Arkansas, and Alice Cooper's, you know, Welcome to My Nightmare Tour. Yeah. Um, instead of, you know, Peace and Love. Yeah. yeah the, it's, and again, I mean, because I come at this, you know, years later, it's kind of, it's weird for me to kind of pinpoint where it is in relation to all these, you know, classic rock stars of yesteryear. Uh-huh. There's you know, obviously a character, there's a character named Beef, so I'm like, oh, this is Meatloaf. But uh-huh. this is like, the movie it, came out. Yeah, like predates Meatloaf. Yeah, yeah. But you think, but was Kiss popular around that time? Because there's like, um. Well, there's... actually, I think, what, their first album came out, what, 74? Yeah. So, like so that, I mean, yeah. I mean, put all of those all of those things together, both you know, in the music scene, the cultural scene in general, that yeah. uh, it was uh, it was really uh, it was really this uh, you know marking a turning point. Yeah. So in, in what we were, I mean, we were in the middle of Watergate and Vietnam was still going on. Yeah. Uh, so. And it's sort of it's a broad retelling. Of Phantom of the Opera, and yeah, mixed, um, mi- mixed with Faust and uh, Oscar Wilde and uh, yes. Poe and Psycho and uh, yeah. so many other things. And uh, um, oh, what's the Orson Welles movie? Um, oh, Touch uh, of Evil. Yes, yeah. in that uh, yeah. in that split screen scene, yeah, yeah, which you described as irksome in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just De Palma was just a little too enamored of the yeah. splits for a very long time. Yeah, well, I think throughout, his, I think all of his movies have a split screen scene okay. in them. I think. Okay. See, I gave up on him a while a while ago. What was there one in uh, Untouchables? I that's the one. I have to go back and check. I'm not okay, sure. Okay, I, I don't think there is. But, Surprisingly, uh, there is one. In, he snuck one into Mission Impossible. Really, so I I refuse to see that. So it's better than you think. I mean, I'm a uh-huh. little bit of a um, uh, I'm a little bit of a De Palma devotee. Like okay. he was the first director whose style I ever recognized. Gotcha. Like I think I yeah. Like I think I saw like Body Double or something. You know, like okay. on cable. And right. It's and he has an operatic approach to filmmaking, and he has very gimmicky too. But, oh, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, but I think he's I think he's well aware of it. Yeah. So um, and that that's what makes it interesting to me. Like I will I will watch all of his movies, even the ones that are supposedly bad. Like the I have uh, a, I have a I have a strange affection I have a strange affection for um, Bonfire of the Vanities. <laughs> That's the one I haven't seen. I think. Am I am one. I the only one? No, I. But you know, I read the book about making that movie, and I still haven't seen that movie. Ah, you should. Yeah. There are some things in it that are just god awful, but they're uh, just just overall, uh, uh, in its own way, I think. Uh, well, like Phantom of the Opera, I think. Uh, yeah. Bonfire, I think, captures that that time. In its yeah. uh, kind of banal way, yeah. But you, um, but so you're not coming at Sam of the Paradise though as like somebody who loves Brian De Palma movies. 
you love this movie in particular, right? This is, I mean, this is my, I've, you know, I, I like the Palma a whole big bunch. Um, okay. But I have, I have uh, a, a special love. I mean, I'm putting this at the top of the, as far as the Palma goes. You know, I thought yeah. Blowout was an excellent film. Uh, yeah. There, there are a few things he did, he did that I thought were just great. Um, but yeah. as far as personal favorites go, yeah, this is at the top of the list. Yeah, yeah. So um, I go back to this one maybe way too often. Right. And it's 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 an interesting. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible movie. I love this movie, but it's kind of hard to uh, wrap your head around. Like it seems so tonal. It changes tones a lot, and it right. seems to be like at cross purposes to itself. And I want to get back to a thing you said earlier about it being a comic book movie. It's very yeah. comic booky in the sense that um, they're like these are very super simple characters, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're 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 all over the top. Uh, yeah. But even even visually, the, the way the movie clips along, it's like clipping from you know moving from panel to panel in the comic book. Yeah, yeah, and everything's a little heightened in terms of emotions. But it's like um, like I was like I was thinking about um, Win, Winslow, the Phantom. Yeah, what's his name? Wins, Winslow Winslow Leach. Winslow Leach, <laughs> with uh, who's named after uh, De Palma's mentor, Sarah Lawrence. Really. Yeah, uh, his name was Wilfred Leach. Uh, he was oh, the head of the theater department where uh, oh, De Palma got his degree. Some tribute. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was going to say, he's like the one of the biggest... Um, I mean, it's not, it, It's technically a tragedy, but right. he's just like this, this guy who's built to lose, you know? Yeah. Like, he, he is built to be taken down by other forces, like... It's kind of getting a little too too in the details of it, but I was thinking about the first song he sings. Which, uh-huh. You know, uh, I think it's called. And he's Faust, the worst. Right? He's the worst lip syncer in the world. Yeah, which is weird because William Finley, I think, is the actor's yeah. name. Yeah. 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 You know, he. I guess he really was a musician, and he had scored uh, "Moto Alla Mode." Uh, right. He did the song. Oh, I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know he did the music for that. Well, I, he did at least the song because I just watched the credits like okay. last night, and it said music by William Finley. Uh huh. Yeah, which well, is there you go because I know. I mean, even by he was in uh, he was in De Palma's first uh, student film, uh, A Wedding yeah. Party, that's since been released. Oh wow! And he's obviously in uh, in the Great Sisters. He's in Sisters. He's in The yeah. Fury, which I also liked a bunch. And, oh yeah. Uh, 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 oh, and he was in Trust to Kill. Oh, he's in Trust to Kill. Yeah. I you know, I was. Um, did you ever see the Toby Hooper movie Funhouse by any chance? Oh God, yes. Yeah, it's not terrific, but he. No, except for the first twenty minutes. The first twenty minutes yeah. of the film is fun. Yeah, because William. Fisher and then it just turns into a slasher film. Yeah. Yeah, he plays like because I was watching him like who is this funny charismatic guy who's in uh-huh. this like kind of uh, uh, lewd magic show or something, and and it was and I was like oh yeah it's the fan of the paradise, 
But otherwise, uh, he's not been in much, as far as I know, right? Uh, no, and he died a few years ago. Oh, he um, did? Yeah. So um, a lot of them are still alive and still working. Um, yeah. You know, Garrett Graham's busy as can be, and uh, Jessica Harper. Um, yes. So, and she's even also Howard, in Suspiria, I guess? This, she was in Suspiria. She How was do you in, feel about Suspiria? I think I think Suspiria is hilarious. Okay. Um, that, I don't think that's the reaction that Dario Argento <laughs> wanted, <laughs> but uh, but it's just you know when somebody falls into a room, you know through a trapdoor into a room full of uh, uh, barbed wire. I mean, what's yeah. not to love, yeah. right? I've actually I haven't seen the whole thing of Suspiria. But uh, I watched, and I was like, "Yeah, maybe I should watch this movie." And I watched the trailer for it, and it was, you know, obviously. Oh, the trailer's great. Uh, yeah, the one where it's like you, there's this, you see a woman in from the back. Exactly. And tell, yeah, and you can tell obviously it's like not a real person. They turn it around, and it's like a skeleton in a wig. And they're like, right. "This is the scariest thing you've ever seen." And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> But that came from an era. It came from an era when, uh, when you know, uh, trailers for films um, were yes. an art unto themselves. I mean, there yeah. were trailers that scared the hell out of me, uh, yeah. like Magic. Magic's well, a terrible know. movie, but one of the greatest mm-hmm. trailers of all time. Oh, that's great. Yes, yeah, so but that so Jessica Harper stars in in uh, Suspiria, and she's in Phantom of the Paradise. And I think I yeah, emailed this to you the other day. She's had a second career as like a really terrible parenting-oriented cookbook writer. <laughs> See that? I did not know about that until you told me. Yeah, I looked at. I guess she's written some books, and she has like videos on YouTube as the crabby cook. And the uh-huh. conceit is like, I think uh, that you know, if you hate cooking, but you have to do it, and maybe you hate your kids a little bit too. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, um, well, I oh, go on, please. Oh, I was, I was, I was going to say, I saw her last. Uh, there was some kind of um, uh, uh, reunion discussion with the cast and crew of uh, Pennies from Heaven, the uh, oh, okay. Steve Steve Martin non comedy sort of musical. And uh, she was there. And when you told me, you know, about the crabby cook, I was like, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's not really like it's it, it's not exactly like um, people who became icons or anything like that. I mean, no. Paul Williams aside, it's sort of like, and he, even in, as an actor, he's somewhat obscure versus his musical career. Right. You know? I mean, yeah. he's been in. He's been on every TV show in the world, and he's still he's still working today. He did a lot of voiceover, yeah. but yeah, you generally don't think of Paul Williams as an actor. No, uh, and he did as much yeah, as a uh, talk show guest. And just to um, uh, make sure I I I squish in one of my obsessions, he of course worked with Daft Punk on their uh, random that, access. That letters. is true, and he won a Grammy. He won a Grammy, and he did the speech. <laughs> oh, I love that speech. Yeah, I 
because I was trying to say I was trying to interview him a couple of years ago, but I can never get past it. He is the he is the nastiest um, agent in the world. Uh, really? I can never get past her. Yeah, but I but I ended up I was did a ton of Paul Williams research, and isn't that sad? Um, yeah. But uh, uh, so I saw that speech where he said, you know, I just I I just quit drinking, and then I got a call from two robots. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's definitely a connection. I think it's they've there's they've overtly said this, both Daft Punk and Paul Williams have said there's a connection between Daft Punk and Phantom of the Paradise. Because right. there's the there's that great scene which I believe had an in well okay, I'm about to spin off into a million things. But That's the Phantom of the Paradise like he's wearing the mask and stuff and he wears like the leather suit. And he's surrounded by this enormous uh, synthesizer. Right. Yeah. Did you know that synthesizer has a name? Oh, I saw that recently. It's long gone now. But yeah, that was a real recording studio, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a real synthesizer. It was called Tonto. And it had that was an acronym in some way. But like Stevie Wonder played that, you know, and like it's just, background effects in the movie but it was like right it's probably on like isn't she lovely and songs like that (laughs) (laughs) but um yes and also i he's wearing that leather suit and he has that um the talking thing like he has this like box that he wears on his chest to help him talk after he loses his teeth and stuff and right. it looks very much like Darth Vader at uh, in the Death Star to my eyes. Do you agree there's some kind of influence there? Oh, I can. I think I can. I can see that. I mean, even though, I mean, it's uh, uh, you know about when it came out, about twelve people in the states uh, saw uh, yeah. uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Though it was big in Winnipeg, it's the only place that made money. <laughs> Did you see uh, it in the theater when it came out? Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was about I was about nine. I think there were about ten people in the theater. Wow. So yeah. That's incredible. That you saw yeah, it was the, the it was the uh, it was the Vic Theater in, uh, in yeah. Green Bay, Wisconsin. And do you, so I know there weren't ten people there, but do you remember what the reception was to the film? Uh I I honestly don't. Uh, okay. I remember my own reaction, but I don't. Yeah. I don't know what was going on with the with the other nine people there. Yeah, and um, oh yeah. So there, this, uh, the 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 production of this movie was really crazy. I was looking looking it over, and it struck me as like it seemed like one of those movies that didn't get made, like should right. like, in a way. You know, like sometimes you read about like I was. I was reading about like James Cameron the other day, and they uh-huh. hit him. And he had a movie. They were talking about how like he was trying to make some movie, it didn't work out, and then instead he made like Avatar or whatever. And uh-huh. I was thinking like, this seems like that movie for Brian De Palma because it seems right. like he had this idea, and then there are all these things that made it should have that that should have prevented it from happening, and yet it did. So uh-huh. what? Talk and you wrote about the. I'm trying to prompt you to talk about the production. Really, do you mind talking about that? No, no, not at all. Um, 
because uh, I got a I got a bit. She does not like talking about the movie, but uh, but I did interview the uh, Louisa Rose, the original screenwriter. Yeah. Now she met De Palma when they were both at Sarah Lawrence studying theater uh, and film. Yeah. He directed part of his master's thesis involved directing her first play, um, and then uh, a couple of years later. He had this idea for a, a Siamese twins movie, mm. uh, and so he conscripted her to write uh, the to write the screenplay, which turned yeah. out to be her master's thesis. Was the screenplay for Sisters, uh, wow. and then after after that they collaborated on um, Phantom of the Paradise, which she still calls Phantom of the Fillmore, because that yeah. was, you know the original title until they were you know, sued by the Fillmore. Right. Um, but they, uh, that, but then... Is kind of a punchier title, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, um... And it's weird to me that they didn't just go with, like, why don't we spell Fillmore with the P-H or something? Right. <laughs> so, uh, oh... Oh, hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should write her and tell her that. Um, I know. But, I, uh, I also thought of Phantom of the Rock Opera. Uh huh. Which was terrible, but I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it would be fitting. Good. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad they didn't go with that, but it was like, yeah, oh, yeah it is that idea. But anyway, so, so she wrote this, you know, Phantom of the Fillmore, and tell me about that. Well, uh, again, she doesn't talk about it too uh, too much because there's so much. Uh, bitterness, because at some point, um, without telling her, she didn't know that yeah. she had been taken off the credits until yeah. the movie came out. And, oh, yeah. uh, and in the end, she said she, uh, you know, only got about one third of what she'd been promised by De Palma. Oh. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, you don't see her name connected with this at all when you look no. this up. Yeah. No, though oddly enough, and I need to get my hands on this. Uh, in 1975, there was a novelization released that was apparently based on her screenplay. Yeah. Um, so um, I've not seen the original screenplay, and uh, for some reason, uh, the Phantom of the Bay, uh, Paradise uh, novelization never made it into my collection. Right. But. Um, uh, so the first obstacle they encounter is they want to call it Phantom of the Fillmore and they can't. And right. Then they want they have this character I believe it's, it's based on Phil Spector, right? Yeah, and that then, was uh, Swan. Swan was loosely based on Phil Spector. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, they. I mean, I've heard about all kinds of lawsuits. Only yeah. two of which, only two of which I can really verify. One was the Fillmore, the other one was Led Zeppelin, because yeah. originally, originally Swan's record company was called Swan Song, yeah, right, and uh, which of course is the perfect obvious name. Uh, but yeah. then Zeppelin, Zeppelin caught wind of it, and so they had to go back in post production and just and uh, uh, cover up all the. Swan Song logos with Death Records logos. Yeah. So, and thinking about it now, De Palma should probably sue, you know, Death Death Records um, <laughs> with, 
out there, just which to, just, uh, history goes around. Yeah, you got to keep the cycle going. <laughs> so I've I also saw a few, well, one mentioned that they had been sued by the uh, uh, Gaston Leroux estate, you know, the author of the original Phantom of the Opera in uh, 1910. I don't think there's anything to that one because by that yeah. time the book had entered the public domain. Um, yeah. And I had also heard rumors that they were sued by uh, King Features, the uh, uh, the comic strip syndication operation, which what? distributed uh, the Phantom uh, no, comic really? strip. Well, I don't think that actually happened because the film was never yeah. called Phantom. Right. So, oh, yeah, nobody's ever called it that. It's, well, right. I think you and I called it that just to, in email. Oh, so just maybe. a shorthand, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, nothing so anyone could like sue that. over. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Yeah, I hope there's no discovery behind this episode. <laughs> You'd be in trouble. But uh, yeah, yeah, and so then, didn't at some point wasn't Swan's character? Am I making this up? But was he going to be called like event, like Spectre or the Spectre or something like that? In in in, a, um, in an early draft, and this may have been Louise Rose's draft. He was called yeah. Specter. Yeah, which would have been yeah. interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, so it's such a wild movie, and one detail, every time I watch it, I'm surprised by, and it blows my mind, and then I forget it. Rod Serling does the introductory narration. Right. Of movie, which is crazy. Like, it starts off like a... Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, or you know, the end of or Planet of the Apes, or, um, but you know, he was a he was another one who, in his own way, was uh, was inescapable those days. Um, oh really? He lot, yeah, he did a lot of similar uh, voiceover work. But, oh um, okay. Yeah, but uh, so I so when I heard that when I first heard that it it actually didn't surprise me at all. It seemed uh, oh, okay. it seemed perfectly fitting, because there yeah. is certainly a you know almost a Twilight Zone-ish feel to it. Yeah, you think so? Uh, I mean, in in a way, uh, I mean, yeah. more brightly colored, um, right. and uh, you know, and and with more uh, Paul Williams music. Yeah, well, it's definitely like a broadly told tale that's you know supposed to be. I think it's meant to be like um, processed as a metaphor, you know. Right. But I, I will say I'm not certain what the metaphor is supposed to be in Festival of the Paradise. Yeah. Yeah, which is what I like about it. I don't think it's like, I think it's a little bit of an elusive movie. Like, I don't think it's, you know, there's a lesson in it or a greater meaning to it. No, no, it is, you know, it is what it is. It's this uh, amalgamation of yeah. uh, so many different sources. But uh, yeah. that's that's still you know greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Like what's the uh, what's what's the deal with all the birds? Yes, that's it's like there are birds scattered throughout the film, but you have no idea why. Yeah, you know people are dressed in feathers, and and Beef wears that rooster tail, and there's phoenix, and there's swan, there's the yeah. bird on the death or death records. Uh, logo. There's uh, there's the phantom wearing that falcon mask. 
I don't yeah. know what to make of it unless it's uh, unless it's another Hitchcock homage. Yeah. Well, this seems to be kind of light on Hitchcock stuff for a yeah. for a DuPont movie. Right. Yeah. There's I mean there's the psycho scene, you know, the shower scene, but that's that okay. seems to be about it. Yeah. Well, the split screen scene, which usually would be a, an excuse for some kind of um, Hitchcock thing, is right. instead it's instead of a. Uh, it's an Orson Welles thing here. Yeah, he has an Orson Welles thing, and I've I've never timed it out because the Orson Welles thing is famous for like he starts the clock and then you see the long take, you know. Right. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if De Palma does that same sort of show offy move in this. But well, the uh, the ticking of the thing. ticking of the bomb. If you listen, yeah. the ticking of the bomb is synchronized with uh, with juicy fruits. Not that that's the beat. They're the beach bombs <laughs> at this point. Uh, yeah, with with the yeah, it's like a Beach Boys pastiche, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because that's the song. Like what's happened is like first, uh, Winslow Leach comes to Swan, and he presents him with these songs, and then Swan like steals them. Uh-huh. Puts it and puts him on a list of people that are not to be left in, let into the office ever. Right. And I freeze frame that list. And it's pretty great. It's like George McGovern and Alice <laughs> Cooper. Yeah, I never, I never caught George McGovern. Yeah, um, that was the, that, that was the one that I liked the most. George McGovern. <laughs> 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 and uh, but then yeah, so then he you know, Swan takes this song this like heartfelt confessional subpersonal song that he wrote right. and turns it into like a beach boys song about cars, you know? Right. No, exactly. And, the, and that's one of the interesting things to watch throughout the film is yeah. how uh, Winslow's original music slowly becomes increasingly degraded. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a scene with all of these people auditioning different versions yeah. Uh, you know, there's a girl group version and a country version and a Kate Smith version. You know, until yeah. you get down to until you get down to Beef, who's just this shrieking, <laughs> yeah, uh, voiced by Ray Kennedy. Uh, he did the he did the singing is. on that. Who was a, he was kind of a little known musician, but he was everywhere. Uh, okay. Did a lot of stuff. Yeah, his music gets degraded because he wrote a, a cantata. Is that the right word? Yes. Yes, a 200-page yeah. cantata about Faust. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is, you know, you're like, this is not going to work out for you, buddy. You got to right. in the sun. And, and maybe, and also, but it's also a little bit, because like I said, he is a character that is just designed to fail at every turn. To right. see how, how easily his heartfelt cantata worked slips right into a Beach Boys song. Right, like you exactly. Yeah, like your precious little artistry. It, <laughs> you can just put it into a two-minute pop song and it, and it fits like a glove. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, the poor guy can't even kill himself, right? I know, that's the best part. I love that. I know there's a lot of best parts. With it. Yeah, finally he wants to commit suicide and he can't. So and uh, what's also interesting and kind of a parallel to that is uh, along yeah. with all these different 
you know permutations these, uh, of of Winslow's music, you also have uh, all these permutations of the juicy fruits, right? They, yes. they begin as this uh, as this fifties nostalgia act, and then they become yeah. the Beach Boys, you know, more yeah. of a sixties act, and then at the end, they're the after after they get blown up, they come back yes. uh, at the end as the undeads, and I the love undeads. the undeads. Yeah, who 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 they they look like Kiss in a way. I mean, it's like the, Ex- no, exactly with the face paint yeah. and everything else. Yes. Yeah, and it's interesting, and I think it's just a parallel parallel thinking. You know, I think it's a coincidence yeah. with that. But um, but yeah, and that that is so like the juicy fruits, the fifties stuff. Was that supposed to be like you know Shannon Asox kind of thing? Well, in in theory, and again, I'm not sure about this, but he yeah. De Palma apparently wanted Shannon. Uh, there are a lot of stories about various people who were supposed to be in this movie, but I think a lot of that came from the studio and not De Palma. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the story has it that uh, yeah, he brought in Shannon. Uh, yeah. To be the juicy fruits, um, but they were too difficult to work with. <laughs> so, uh, or he just didn't like them. One of the two. Yeah, yeah. And the juicy fruits, they're well. You know, we've talked about this. The irony of the juicy fruits in the movie is that, for all again, for all of Winslow Leach's artistry and pretensions and whatnot, the music of the juicy fruits is probably better than his music. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and and also to have uh uh I'm sorry. There's just so much going on in this movie. It's hard to keep track. But right, uh, but yeah. that but that the opening number um yeah. is is about a guy who commits suicide in order yeah. to uh you know become a, a send his send his uh memorial record up the charts because he realized yes. that death is a very good career move. Yeah. Little Eddie Mitty from Jersey City. Yep. Yeah. And then, and and which is again an early moment of the movie kind of not being simple and and not kind of like avoiding a simple reading because the first song right. is about like these dumb little rock and roll songs and how about they could be epic and about death and tragedy and stuff. Yeah. To the, to yeah. the point at which the lead singer, you know, acts out Harikari on stage. <laughs> and that's not, I don't even, I don't know what kind of racism he's doing in the little breakdown. Where he's like, tell me, you know, he says like some goes to some accent. Oh my God! He takes on he takes on like a Puerto Rican accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like where the hell did that come from? It comes absolutely out of nowhere, and it's within yeah. like a minute of the movie. It's so great. It's like, <laughs> it's like I think like, it's just like His a weird choice. Mary Louise. Yes, <laughs> and he says it in a Puerto Rican accent, which is I don't know, and, it, and it's again like this. It, Defies simple categorization. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> but so then you then you see that, and that's a good song. It's a, like it is a really good song. 
Yeah, and they're a really good band. And then, <laughs> then Winslow Leach comes out. Oh, and he's so great because, again, this is what inspired my realization that he is, like, destined to fail. When yeah. you see him, like, covering up the marquee, the poster that says tonight. Right, with, that, with his, uh, yeah. Which is a huge poster taking up a whole wall. And then he uh-huh. covers it covers it up with his tiny little print thing and also with <laughs> <the other. laughs> I was like, hey, that's <laughs> But yes, then he plays his song, which is like a pia- like piano I don't know, how'd you describe his music? Yeah, no, it was a uh it's it sounds like a Paul Williams song. Yes, yes. Uh, is that, you know you get, you get right down to it. It's just it's just Winslow and piano. Yeah, <laughs> and which is funny because then the movie, because you think it's making an argument like, oh, all of this great culture that we used to have, this sincere culture, is being displaced by this insincere junk. Right. But then like the example of like the sincere good culture is the music of Paul Williams, which is incredibly popular. Yeah, like he wrote, he wrote like Carpenter songs and stuff. Right, like, and yeah. Three Dog Night songs. He, oh hell, he wrote Barbara Streisand songs. Yeah. You know, he was a. <laughs> it's like no, we cannot have the the vulgar populist beef. We must have the absurd. Right. <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, unless it was uh, unless it was somehow a reflection of. Of, of Paul Williams' pretensions that he, you know, one of these, another one of these guys like, you know, Paul McCartney or or uh, Elvis Costello, who you turn around and write uh, oratorios and symphonies later in their career. Yeah, yeah. But so I, I, I think this is a bullshit story, but I, I read that De Palma City is inspired to do this movie when he heard like a Muzak version of the Beatles. Uh-huh. You heard this? And no. He, and yeah, so he was like, oh, and his quote was like, they're going to take everything, all this wonderful stuff that we generated and turn it into schlock or something like that. Uh-huh. But it's like, as much as I love the Beatles, and I sincerely love the Beatles, they're not entirely not Muzak already. You know? Right. Like, uh-huh. like you, you take something like Yesterday or Eleanor Rigby, <laughs> You yeah. don't have to do much to make that like an elevator music song. Yeah, no, no, you just you remove the vocals and there you are. Yeah. So it's like, I think that the, because the, the first time I saw this movie, I got really hung up on like a literal, looking for an argument for it. Because uh-huh. I was like, the movie's saying Shana Na sucks, it's saying Alice Cooper sucks. Fine, great. But then it's like, what's what are they saying is good here? Uh-huh. And it's like, and I and I was very confused. I mean, at the same time, as a sort of as a reflection of the time, I mean, it's a deeply, deeply cynical film. I think yeah. not just not just about the music industry, but uh, you know, but uh, as uh, about the culture of the uh, you know as a whole. I mean, because yeah. De Palma had made those two uh, earlier satires. Yeah. Uh, have you seen those Greetings and Hi Mom? I've seen, I think I've seen parts of Greetings and Hi Mom. Okay. I think I, no, yeah, they, not. Okay. They, they, uh, they haven't aged well. 
they're not great from what I remember. Yeah, no, they're, I mean, they're known mostly uh, not for their biting satire, but for, uh, um, you know, for featuring an early early performances by Robert Duvall. Not Duvall. Who's that other one? <laughs> De Niro. De Niro, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's what everybody calls Robert De Niro, that other one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now he's going to come and beat us up. I know. Yeah, he's, a, he's a litigious one. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and you think there's like, uh, that there are like trace elements of those like kind of more satirical early movies in, um, in Family of the Paradise? Oh, I think so. Um, yeah. You know, because uh, he's, there's the, he was obviously, you know, a, a, a fan of cultural satire, social satire, and uh, um, so it wasn't that big a jump to go from greetings and hi mom, then over sisters, then uh, yeah. then back to then back to satire. Yeah. Um, though it's because yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting now because sisters really established. What his reputation would be down the line, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he goes back and does this, which uh, which leaves Phantom of the Paradise, you know, between Sisters and Carrie, sitting there like a you know a, an odd man out. <laughs> Isn't wasn't Obsession? After oh, and Obsession. Um, obsession was yeah. next, and then Carrie, exactly. Yeah, and that's like well, same of... thing. <laughs> yeah. My point. My point stands. Yeah, well, I think you, your point is Eva is further supported by obsession because that that's his most like formal uh, Hitchcock ripoff kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, certainly there's plenty of Hitchcock in most of everything he did in the eighties. Right. Um, yeah, but that's that's like the closest I would say to bit like him doing a straight. Right. Hitchcock. Exactly. Yeah. Instead yeah. of uh, instead of just a pastiche of homages, right? Instead of like this, um, you know, Brechtian device of like, hey, remember Hitchcock? Remember Suspense? Right. You fucking that dicks, you know. I'm sitting <laughs> in the camera. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I love Diploma. <laughs> I I remember uh, uh, when I was watching. Uh, it was Body Double. Yes. Um, I remember before Body Double came out, because yeah. there had been such a hoo-ha over Dressed Kill, right? Everybody yeah, all the, yeah. was up in arms over the sex and violence. And he held this really angry press conference to announce uh, 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 Body Double. Where he was just yeah. he would just say you want sex you want violence I'm yeah. going to give you sex and violence and he uh, he pretty much came out and said that it was going to be a hardcore film um, mm-hmm. he said I'm going to get I'm going to get Seika to star in it mm-hmm. um, and I mean it wasn't that in the end but uh, I'm assuming uh, that still, was like a, por- a porn star of the time or oh Seika yes yes she was okay. a very big porn star back in the seventies uh, okay. but. Um, uh, but nevertheless, back to what we were saying. Um, yeah. In Body Double, there's a scene where you have this couple, and uh, 
and uh, you know there's a there's a vertigo element to it there's a rear window element to it but uh, as far as the vertigo goes i was like i was sitting there watching it in the theater and i said if the camera starts to circle them right now i'm going to fucking puke mm-hmm. uh, and the camera of course immediately began to circle them oh yeah of course yeah <laughs> you can't stop the circling Depend yeah. on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit. <laughs> well, I that's really why that's it. why you need to see. That's why you need to to go back and take a look at Bonfire, because there's a scene yeah. at the beginning. It's a it's a like a six minute single cut of uh, okay. of a drunk Bruce Willis walking you know through the through a restaurant. Oh wow. Um, it's really good. That sounds awesome. He has a good. Um, did you ever see Snake Eyes, the movie De Palma did with Nicolas Cage in the nineties? No, though I know Nicolas Cage has cited Phantom of the Paradise as his favorite De Palma film. Oh, really? Yeah. That's wild. I didn't. The only yeah. one he was in. <laughs> <laughs> he may have said that before he was in that one. That may be oh, why yeah. he got the job. Yeah. But yeah. no, actually, I've never seen Snake Eyes. It's worth watching for the first 10 minutes. It's like a solid tracking shot through, uh, I think it's like a 10-minute tracking shot through Atlantic City at the onset of a hurricane. And it's just oh, like, wow. yeah, it's like hot, and, you, and you're with high-energy Nick Cage the whole time. He's like uh-huh. yelling and starting, but he's a, like a corrupt cop. It's okay. terrific. Yeah. The, the movie does fall off a cliff about halfway through, but the first 10 minutes... Really terrific. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. But back to fan comparison. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever read um, Goethe's Faust? By the way. Oh my goodness sakes! Yes. Oh. Um, okay. I mean, in translation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, translated by Walter Kaufman, who did a very good job because it okay. had uh, German on one page, English on the other. Oh wow! And yeah, so. Um. It's very good. Okay. <laughs> and how did, like, is this Phantom of the, of the Paradise, does it relate to the text at all? Oh, my. Oh, sure. I mean, of course, it was a, it's an old story. You have uh, Phantom of the, I mean, you have uh, 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 Goethe's version. You also have Christopher Marlowe's version, uh, yeah. Dr. Faustus. That, um, yeah. Right, and you also have um, you also have um, uh, 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 picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Um, they're all pretty much the same idea. Um, you know, someone someone uh, sells his sells his soul for uh, um, you know riches or fame or uh, um, whatever he whatever he so chooses. And then you yeah. know get screwed on the deal in the end. Yeah, yeah. It never seems like a very good deal. <laughs> yeah, and I I love it in uh, Phantom of the Paradise where uh, when when Winslow when he when he's the Phantom and he is signing the deal, right? He knows he knows it's a bad deal. And he's yeah. Like, well, I want to read it first. Yeah. Yeah, but he's out. But he is yet again pushed into tragedy and failure. Uh huh. And then, yeah. uh, and then, 
toward the end when you see uh you know instead of a instead of the uh uh you know say picture of Dorian Gray here we have the videotape of yes. Dorian Gray uh, so it cuz cuz you also cuz uh when uh, uh uh Winslow tries to kill himself and yep. and Paul Williams shows up and says and tells him I'm under contract too yeah um yeah, but, that's a beautiful yeah. line. Yeah, but then, but then, yeah, it's a very convenient videotape. Is like, unless that person destroys this very tape, right? Exactly. <laughs> 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 well, I chose the right one. Yeah, lucky you. Good thing you didn't grab like the the you know the you know outtakes from music video. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, takes from Dark Shadows. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then the the ending, I feel, yeah, so you, you see Paul Williams finally, like, as he really is. Right. As, you know, as the character really is. And he's all like... Uh, oh, maybe as Paul Williams really is, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe the real guy, yeah. Uh-huh. The, um... Well, first you see him in the, the the I don't know if it was intentionally creepy when he looks like a seven year old boy in the bathtub in that scene. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, that man. was I mean, throughout especially early in his career, I think he was in his twenties when he played a twelve year old in oh, uh, the loved one. Um, so good. Yeah, but that's yeah. yeah, that always creeped me out a little bit. Yeah, that, that I mean, just the way we see him there. Yeah. So the end where it feels like it's trying to build excitement with all the people in the um, paradise and stuff. Right. It just, that, that part doesn't really work for me. I don't know. No. I agree with that. Yeah. No, that the, the ending, uh, apart from the closing credits theme, the ending is, is they just kind of didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but everything so like, up to that point. Yes, I think it's yeah. I I think it. What thing up to that? I also say I I feel like um, what's your favorite? The lady is not great. Jessica Harper. Jessica like, Harper. No, <laughs> you know my favorite. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, you're making me gag on my spit as I consider this. <laughs> um, my favorite uh, Jessica Harper's. Uh, Jessica Harper's scene is yeah. when she she's first auditioning, yeah. and uh, um, I forget what song what song she's singing, but there's that. Uh, but it has uh, this very upbeat bridge, and she's wearing this wide floppy hat, and she takes it off yeah. and kind of casts it aside, and goes into this weird chicken. <laughs> Chicken dance, <laughs> and she kind of bounces off off camera, and then she yeah. bounces back. I was yeah. like, that's that's, you know, I I don't know how much she was coached to do that, or if Jessica <laughs> Harper simply doesn't know how to dance. Right. Um, but it was uh, I always get a big kick out of that. Yeah, it's great, and also it's another point where it's like. Because for the story to work, you have to, like everybody has to kind of be in love with her and stuff. Like, right. And so everybody acts like it, she's terrific. But again, uh-huh. it's like it's like this is sort of like um, 
I don't know, uh, the dollar store version of Carol King's tapestries. Right, <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> but was, I, mean, I, I feel like I'm being a little negative on this movie, which I genuinely love. But yeah. It's like, I, it's oh, it's certainly, it's, it's not a, it's a, the movie has its faults. You know, yeah. it's a you know it's a reasonably low budget cult weirdy. So it's you know yeah. it's gonna it's it's you know it's not Citizen Kane right. or Touch of Evil uh, for yeah. that matter. But uh, yeah, of course it has its faults. But that uh, that's also I think part of its charm. Yeah, yeah. Because you realize too is that it is. I, I love how you describe it as a live action kind of comic book. Because really, yeah. Is. Yeah. So and I, I I I think that was I think that was intentional. You even you know you get those like the uh, uh, oh what's the word I'm looking for those kind of intertitles pop up yeah now and again um, yeah you know it's like a it's like a page break yeah yes yeah those are great too the yeah. um and have you I've never read Phantom of the Opera either have you read that one uh, it's is I'm not. It it's a 1910 French novel. Um, yeah. It's yeah. It's kind of dry. Oh okay. It's not like Three Musketeers kind of pulpy mm, thing. I think it, uh, it may be aiming for that, but uh, mm. Mm, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not I don't want to dissuade anyone from reading Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I'm just not a I'm not a big fan of it myself. Well, I think Andrew Lloyd Webber has probably done a good enough job at dissuading anybody. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the first thing I think of. I mean, that's the other thing that's funny is then Yeah, because then Phantom of the Opera would later become this big stupid Broadway hit. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so it kind of makes. So I think I think Andrew more... Lloyd Webber stole everything from Paul Williams. <laughs> <laughs> you could put me on the record saying sure. such. Yeah, I can't wait to hear from his attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Who else can we get to sue us? I know. Uh, we pissed, pissed off the Brady Bunch. Uh, Robert yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh Maybe we we got... <laughs> um, oh you know what I, this is what i realized so it was if they had waited five years to make this movie and you're going to hate this idea but i want to tell you anyway okay this could, this could have been phantom of studio 54 oh god can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine how awful that would have been <laughs> no <laughs> you know, because in a way, uh, uh, people people may disagree with me that unlike, say, those earlier satires, this one holds up. You oh, know, yeah. I think yeah. I think I think this one this one remains relevant. Um, yeah. Whereas the Phantom of Studio Fifty Four, uh, you know, would not. It's kind of like yeah. you know, originally, originally. Rock and Roll High School was supposed to be um uh was supposed to be what disco high school <laughs> um until I mean seriously it was going to be disco high school yeah. and then someone someone who worked at uh uh with Corman Roger Corman yeah. said yeah you you don't really want to go that way 
<laughs> and then they're going to get a cheap trick, I think, to be the better yeah. than that. Yeah, which is another. No, you got. I'm going to I'm going to see Cheap Trick in a couple weeks. Oh yeah. They're playing with ZZ Top and Fog Hat. Oh man, I would love to see ZZ Top. I love ZZ Top. Yeah, actually, I'll but be I, curious I, to see because they lost. Uh, they lost uh, Dusty. The great, yeah, oh. poor Dusty Hill. Yeah, lost him what yeah. last year. So, yeah. I wonder um, if they'll just put pull, put some guy in a fake wig or a fake beard. Oh my God! Yeah, the fake beard. Yeah. I don't know it would be worse. A, a, like if they got in just some bearded guy, or they put him in a fake <laughs> like Santa Claus beard. <laughs> I don't. I've I've seen Cheap Trick a couple of times, and they're uh-huh. they're terrific. And one thing I really like about them is they start they like they go on stage like exactly at like eight thirty. Right. Like they're, they're like really prompt, which I uh-huh. really I love that. Like more more than any any musical performer I've ever seen. They're yeah. very punctual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ZZ Top might take their sweet time though, to get up. Right. Yeah. Foghat, they better not be headlining. Uh <clears throat> The way I've heard it described, Fog Hat is headlining, which at least means that I can leave before Fog yeah. Hat. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, what were we talking about again? Well, what what needs to be said about San Juan the Paradise that we haven't said? Ah, uh, let me let me think. I mean, there's the whole. Garrett Graham's beef character is certainly oh, right, another yeah. less than less than politically uh, <laughs> uh, correct uh, uh, presentation of. Uh, <laughs> oh right! Oh yeah, his his uh, yeah, like stereotypical uh, homosexual seventies kind of voice, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, wearing uh, wearing this fluffy white bathrobe. Yeah, and is he is he supposed to be a is he supposed to be a stand-in for like? Because again, like I I can't let go of watching this in kind of a literal way. Is he supposed uh-huh. to be like Alice Cooper or like the New York Dolls or like David Bowie or is he just supposed you know, to be? I like, think it's I think it's all of those all of those things because you know because right. you had the you had. Because glam was a big was a big thing at the time, so I think he's yeah. you know all of the he's just kind of a I think well, an amalgamation of all of these uh, of all these glam acts. Yeah, like the sweet or the right the British right. ones. Yeah, yeah. Because like the sweet. New York, yeah, sweet are great, but yeah. New York Dolls like, they didn't they were like in terms of record sales like they were like the Phantom of the Paradise of music. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting too. It's like, why, why would they deserve a satire? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, the a, that's the thing. A lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the glam bands were just, were just, you know, satire themselves. Yeah, yeah, they're very self-aware. So that, yeah, but it's, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. Like, it's nice that it's not trying to hammer home like some kind of point like oh Bob Dylan was so great but now the sweet sucks or whatever or or, you know you know the record business is corrupt people right yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh yeah, my God. God. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Beef is really good, and yeah, he's kind of prescient in the way that he predicted meatloaf. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and who could have seen that coming? Yeah. I, I look. Yeah, he's really good because he's like all of his bitchy lines, you know, yeah. so funny. Like, hey, this is written for a castrato. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, he's trying to stand on his platform shoes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take that, platform shoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Jim. All right, well, look, I'm going to let you go. This is... okay. This is, Adam, Adam, it's always a delight and a pleasure. I was just about to say, it's always a delight and a pleasure, Jim. <laughs> there you see. Well, then we're agreed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so th- thanks for talking to me. Talk to you <laughs> Thank soon. you. Bye-bye. Bye.